Thank you for listening to Empower Purpose Podcast. I'm Michael Bonds. I'm here with my guest today is Pastor Tyrone Nathaniel. How you doing today, sir? I am good, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me. Um, I know you could have been anywhere else, but you're here with me. Just doing homework. Nowhere else. (laughs) So, um... What what could we tell our guests about you? What are some things that you can share with the guests to let them know who you are, a little bit about yourself? I am 40 years old. I have been in consistent relationship with the same woman for going on 21 years. We've been married 18 this coming January. I've got four kids. I, for 12 years, pastored a church on the east side that I uh, recently divested and gave uh, over to a friend of mine. Uh, who is continuing the work. I am now a member of New Creation Christian Fellowship under uh, Bishop David Michael Copeland, Pastor Claudette Anderson Copeland. I'm finishing up a bachelor's degree. I'm just Tyrone. Yes, sir. <laughs> more, than, more than that, uh, one of my favorite, favorite preachers to hear, speakers to hear, great orator. Um, so I do have a few questions. Today's episode is over um, speaking. Speaking cool. and how to articulate the way you deliver your words. Okay. Um, so my first question is, before the pen hits the pad, what is the purpose? Preparation it takes to place and develop your sermon. What takes place before you ever write down anything? I'm living life and allowing God through life to show me what is relevant. I think oftentimes people write sermons just for the purpose of preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order for it to be relevant, one of the things I learned when I went to seminary, one of my teachers, Dr. Kevin Bishop, uh, said that every word that we give must be not only revelatory, but it must be relevant. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear something that has nothing to do with what they're going through in life or is not pertinent to right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I have a long history. We went to church together, and I think you remember how when we were kids, we went to the same church, and our pastor would make a commentary about what was, quote, modern music, but was always referencing Michael Jackson, the Jackson 5, the boys, yes, sir. <laughs> and other groups that were completely not it. And we were right. in the back, like, cracking up, because it's like, okay. And so one of the things I did, and I still do, um, especially because I have kids, Mm-hmm. I'm listening to what they're listening to. I'm understanding. So I know what the modern day life is like, you know. Uh, and, and what God's word is, is God's word is powerful all the time. So if I believe that it is an eternal word, then I have to believe that it's applicable in 2019, right. the same as it was in 89. So <laughs> before I write anything down, I'm just trying to listen, go through life. Because God is going to let me experience what I'm going to preach before I ever write something down. Hmm. Experienced it before you ever put pen to the pad. You already have a deeper understanding of what you're already going to speak about. Because you've got to live it out. Uh, if you don't live it, then you become a voyeur in what you should be a tour guide to. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and so, I like that. Like, if I'm talking about stuff that I know nothing about, you know, I can only tell you what I heard about it. Mm-hmm. I can even give you my opinion of it, mm-hmm. but I can't lead you through what I've never actually experienced. Right. And so, 
if you look through the Bible, what I find cool is every person that we read about lived something mm -hmm. and then it was relevant and they were able to make some type of teaching off of what they lived. Mm. So then find your life in the text. How does this apply to me? Okay, I'm a 40-year-old man with kids. So, you know, one of the things I recently was dealing with, especially after I gave up my church, was issues of purposelessness. Because I'm like, I had built my identity around being a pastor. Mm -hmm. And I forgot what it was to be Tyrone. Wow. <laughs> you know? And so then I found in the Bible things I didn't even preached, but I'm sure one day will come up. You know, David got lost. How did the shepherd boy become king? But the king forgot what it was just to be a dude, <laughs> just to be a, just to be a person. Because think of it this way: I'm living in a palace. I look out. I see a woman that I decide that I want, and I'm so enthralled with her that as a man, I would never do what I'm about to do. But as a king, <laughs> right. I try to coerce the dude. To make him think it was his kid, and when all else fails, I send him with an order to get himself killed. Right, right. <laughs> send them all. But that's because, and so, and so when Nathan comes and speaks to David, he's like, gives him an example not of a king but of a shepherd. Hmm. <laughs> Yo, this one dude had one sheep, and this other dude had like five sheep, and the dude with five sheep took this one sheep from the one dude. Oh, and David immediately remembers because he probably had it happen to him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh God, that is wrong, and he's wrathful, and I, you know, we'll make it right. Another, hold up, dude, you that dude? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> oh, smack! Because I got caught up in being who I played at, mm. and forgot who I was. Mm. And so, I tell guys all the time: if you want to be great, you're gonna live through some stuff, and the stuff that you live through will be those great 30-minute sermons that inspire somebody's life but you couldn't tell in 30 minutes what it took you probably 30 years to get through. Mm. The connection. <laughs> I, I got to agree with you. Totally. Uh, you speak you speak totally different when you've been through something and you relate totally different. You, you it, it feels, you don't have to uh, act or teach or be and try to find the authenticism in what yeah. you're saying. Like, hey, uh, I wish that person was more authentic. I can tell they're faking, or I can I can tell they're speaking from a book or something that they didn't experience. But when you when you know they've been through it, uh, you relate on a whole different level because you're like, man, he talking. That's exactly what I was going through. That's exactly what I've been through. Um, good, good, great stuff. Um, what what would you call? What would you say are the different styles of preaching when you? There's so many different orders out there, and there's so many different uh, ways mm -hmm. you hear yeah. a teacher, a speaker, mm -hmm. uh, somebody like a T.D. Jakes, or mm -hmm. somebody like a, a Baptist preacher, you know, somebody at rear back and give a sermon. What, what would you categorize the different styles as? The categories that have always been accepted are those who are more topical, so they're preaching from the basis of a topic, uh, textual preachers who are just working in text, and then um, the ones who are more invoked now, the exegetical preachers who are taking a text or a group of text and looking for an undercurrent. Um, depending on where you go, they call them revelatory or whatever. But at the end of the day, those are the three basic styles of preaching. You're either someone who has a topic in mind, and what you're looking for is text to support your idea of the topic, 
however you deliver it. Um, you are um, a textual guy who is, I'm married to this text, I'm riding and dying with this text. Again, delivery is an individual thing, but essentially, I am with this text, or you're an exegetical preacher. Jake's style is exegetical. Uh, Matthew Stevenson's uh, is exegetical. We're, we're, they're going in, they're dissecting a text, they're pulling uh, meanings out of the text that go beyond. And, and, and you know, I may read five, ver you know, five, six, ten, fifteen verses mm -hmm. to deal with one word. <laughs> Right, right. And Hank, and you, you know, we've gone through a 40-minute sermon. You realize that I didn't did all this just to take you to one word. Right. <laughs> and use that one word to, and, and so those are the three styles. Um, I've always liked exegetical. Uh, 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 <laughs> I find the word, if it's rich and alive, then there should be much to it. And, and don't ever get so caught up in just... Okay, I'm in love with this text because what I find with some textual preachers is all they're really doing is quote being married to a text, but are really like you've heard somebody like talk about something and just get keep giving examples of it. Like, okay, I'm gonna give you this example of this, so this example of that. And you really haven't done a whole message because a message, just like any paragraph, should have a beginning, middle, and end, and there should be a point to it. Right. And I've heard people preach a text that never got to a point. <laughs> right. It just, it, all of a sudden, it's wrapping it's up. It's like, hey, <laughs> and Jesus went to Calvary. Hold up. We weren't talking about Calvary, dog. We was talking about how to be married. Right. What's the point? Mm -hmm. So that's my thing. I, I love exegetical. My wife's a teacher. My wife told me one time, she said straight up, Tyrone, I love you. I think you can get up there and do the theatrics of it with the best of them. I need you to make a point. Because <laughs> when this is over, I'm not going to remember the performance. I will remember the points. Right. I will remember what I was supposed to learn. Make sure you have a point. So... Is delivery and word choice, construction and pace, tone, uh, all these things. Extremely important. At the end of the day, so let's go to the Bible. In the Bible, there's a script story in Acts, I think it's 16, where Paul is preaching and he's long-winded and he's boring and he puts a dude to sleep. The dude is so asleep, he falls out the window, breaks his neck. Paul gets up, lays hands on him because he's got power brings him back to life, and then goes on and preaches until the morning. <laughs> the goal is not to put somebody to sleep while you're preaching. <laughs> right, right. So you've got to pace it. You pick up based on where your audience is. So I've gone into rooms where it was hot and slowed it all the way down. Simply because if we go from here you're never going to get the point. You're going to shout, but you'll never have learned anything. Mm. So you've got to have pacing. You've got to know that. Because I know people whose only goal when preaching is the shouting. Right, right, right. And so if shouting is the only goal, then again, we have no point. We didn't learn nothing. So you've got to have some pacing. You, again, you've got to plot what you're doing. 
I, I sit under Bishop David Copeland now, he and Pastor C, and one of the things that they do that I had gotten away from is they script the whole thing. Now, of course, there's room for the Holy Ghost to do whatever the Holy Ghost wants to do, but they know their beginning, their middle, and their end, their transition points. They're not going to get up there and, and do like we've seen some people do. Get up there, they knew that they had a text, and they knew what they wanted to end up shouting, and then how we get there in the middle, we're going to let the Holy Ghost have it. No. <laughs> right. We're going to let, we're gonna let so the Lord have it. you got a plan. You... <laughs> I grew up from this, one of my uncles, uh, the late Elder George Boyd, Floyd Ball said, plan your work and work your plan. <laughs> yep. So, if a sermon is a work, then plan your work <laughs> and work your plan right. so that you know where you're starting at where you, and where you're going to. One of the things I used to do with my church, and I still do it occasionally when I preach, because my wife and I come from a teaching background, is I would go online and I would ask people for an education, they call them exit tickets, but basically it's what did you learn? <laughs> Because if the goal of communication is to deliver a message, you don't know that the message you spoke is the message they received unless you verify what did you understand what it said. Right. <laughs> and we can't do that in the sermon because they shout. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so some way you need some type of feedback. Again, you and I were talking a minute ago about exit interviewing people after they leave an event or whatever. If I'm a preacher, to me, that's gold. More than the shouting. Because everybody that comes is not going to have an altar call moment. It's not going to have a moment where they are, you know, I was a sinner, I'm being saved, and I'm coming to the point of salvation. But everybody that was there should have gotten something from the message. So then, how do you know? Cool. Let's do some random exit interviews. What'd you get out of this? Oh, man. That message was da 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 because okay, and then I want my interview to be like interview like okay, well how was it? Uh, how was it that way? When he said or she said blah blah blah, mm -hmm. that's when okay, mm -hmm. and so then you know that it was a complete circuit. I gave a message, you received a message, and then you're able to tell me back what the message was and what you're telling me back was what I said. Mm -hmm. I really. Um, I saw you did that on Facebook, mm -hmm. and I got on there and chimed in when you were speaking right. at our church. Yes, sir. Um, you said, "What did you hear?" I was like, "Oh man!" I was going through my notepad. I had so many, yes. so many jot points. I was like, "Some of this I can't even read." I yes. was writing so fast, but um, great, great, great stuff. Um, what are uh, you already actually spoke on this a little bit? But what are the best ways you would say to connect to an audience? When you walk in and fill the room, what what are the best ways that you start a connection? Do you is it a joke? I've seen it so many different ways. Um, they come on very composed, or they come in very alive, or they they just come in different. I've seen so many different ways, almost like a hook that you grab the people when you when you step in. You have to one be you, mm -hmm. and two you have to be aware of your audience. Again, the tradition you and I came from. Preachers would sit in the green room, pastor's office, whatever. Right, right, right. Till like 10 minutes before you had to preach. And then come in, and you've completely missed what the audience has been through. Yeah. 
I respect everybody else that's going to be on that stage before me and after me. So the least I can do, I always try and sit through praise and worship. Because mm-hmm. they're setting an atmosphere that I need to be a part of. Right. And you can tell a lot by a crowd, by the praise and worship that goes on before you, you even get up to take the mic. Mm-hmm. And so I'm listening to, the, to that. Uh, I'm interacting during moments. Um, and then you just allow God to be, to use you as you are. Don't try to be anybody else. I remember when I was younger, you know, for years, we've all thought that Jake's was the epitome of the, you know, the, the modern day preacher, which he is. But you can either be a great you or a cheap TD Jake's. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. So don't be a cheap anybody else. Be personable, be mannerable, you know. When you get up there, make sure you acknowledge the pastor, first lady, first husband, first whoever. <laughs> you know, say something to the people. You know, sometimes I am joking, sometimes I'm straight, but always be mannerable. <laughs> Good manners will get you invited back. <laughs> right, get you to come back. Yeah, you know, so, and, and you know, just little stuff like that, you know. Um, one of the classes I'm taking right now is, it's a communications class, and her whole thing is, you know, we got to deliver speeches. And so, other than the amount of classwork that she's giving, this will probably be one of the easiest grades I get. Because, <laughs> you know, she had us do an introduction to ourselves and I'm like well I'm 40 years old I've been you know pastoring for the last 12 and a half years so I've delivered somewhere like a thousand plus sermons in the last right. 12 and a half right. I speak on a regular basis mm-hmm. you know and I told them in my introduction from me when I'm because she was like what are you trying to get out of this I'm just trying to refine it mm-hmm. whereas I had other people who were like I've never had to speak in public you know I got away with you know not having to turn in presentations and this oh god no and so Make sure you're comfortable. Um, practice as hard when no one is there as you do when you get to the point where a thousand or plus are there. Because if so, ultimately what we do is not to impress people. We are performing for an audience of God. But the people just get to hear what we're doing. Right. And so, but the word, God doesn't need the word because God is the word. So the word has to then be, I'm impressing God, I'm speaking glory to God, but this word has to be, like I said earlier, relevant to the people that are listening. So you're trying to hit two different groups at the same time. God already knows what I'm going to say. For him, this might be my highlight, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and, but the people need to be fed by God that, and he's using you as the conduit to feed them. So. Just make sure that you don't divorce yourself from the audience. Again, don't get so high and opinionated of yourself that you lose the ability to realize that you are just a man, just a woman, and that you are, if not for the grace of God on your life, you would be that man or that woman on this bench right now. (laughs) So the same way you needed a word at times in your life, they need one, and you're just the server. Serve well. Just the one bringing it, bringing the message, bringing the word to the people. Um, um I know you already hit on this too uh, in our conversation. 
I didn't figure it would go like this, but uh, still great. What is the goal of a sermon? I've heard so many different sermons where, like we already talked about, the end, and, and, and you're looking around like, okay, mm-hmm. you're doing an altar call, and I, I haven't, I don't, I don't understand how you led up to an altar. I don't have the altar call. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the shift. Yes. I felt like this was a Wednesday night. Yes. Not a Sunday. Not a deliverance sermon. Yeah. Uh, but. Go every every sermon you already said has a goal. But yeah. What would you say is how for do you... me? Again, because my wife's a teacher, and I, you know, while she was learning to teach, I had to be with her watching kids and reading books. Right. The goal of every message for me is the altar call. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've now I preached my first sermon in 1999, so it's been 20 years that I've been doing this. Wow. I am not a shouting guy. <laughs> you figured that one out. <laughs> Tried really hard. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, we came up as apostolics, dog. Right. If you, yes, can't, make, if yes, you can't make them shout, <laughs> you're not getting invited. <laughs> but I found out that my grace, my gift, is the altar call. Mm. I plan every sermon for the altar call. Because <laughs> mm. again, whether you need salvation or whether you just need refreshing, everybody needs the altar. <laughs> right. So... So are you planning? Are you planning from the altar backwards? Friend, from the altar backwards. How do I get you to the altar? Mm. The okay. whole sermon, like, okay, God. So for me, God will give me a textual idea. So like, I'm trying to remember, when I was at y'all's church last time, I did ruach. Right. And so ruach, I came from Ezekiel 37. Mm-hmm. I planned the whole sermon from the moment, like. So, anyway, if you've never read this, sir, in Ezekiel 37, God takes Ezekiel to the Valley of Dry Bones. Can these dry bones live again? All that. So, I took the stance that I was Ezekiel and that even though I'm in a live church-like vertical, the people are in one way, shape, form, or another dead from something. So, my goal in the sermon is to revive the bones and I will know they are revived when they come before this altar with hands lifted in sacrifice and praise thanking God for the revival that didn't necessarily so much happen in the church but that happened in them individually whether it was my marriage my uh, educational aspirations whatever all of us have experienced some type of death there's something we gave up on. So if you want to call it that, when you gave up on it, it died. <laughs> right. So since it's dead, but now God's bringing it back to life. He's showing me all the dead dreams, all the dead relationships, all the whatever. And asking me, can it live again? Which means obviously God's not done with it. So I preached the whole message with the intent of something's going to come to life. And... I hung it on another scripture that I didn't even mention when I was in vertical, but the Bible says, let everything that happened breath. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so if you were dead and now you are alive, the first thing you want to do is say thank you. Mm-hmm. So the whole altar call was, okay, I know this is a success, not when they're up here crying, but when they're giving thanks. Mm-hmm. And so I laid hands until people gave thanks. I prayed until people gave thanks. The message was merely to get them to the altar, and when they get to the altar, God is going to do the finish work. Hmm. And that's it. Get them there. You're the, you said that 
be the servant, be the vessel, get them to God. Yes. Once he gets them, then he'll do the work. He'll do the work. Right. I know cats who are like, oh man, I, I got this many saved and baptized this week. No, you didn't. So the no Bible expressly says that you can plant seed, you can water, but it is only God that gives increase. If I'm saying only God can give increase, then my watering is not what brought about this seed mm -hmm. to deliverance. It was merely that I did my role. Mm -hmm. So, like right now, we're sitting up in Starbucks. So, when we came in, one person took the order. Somebody else makes the drinks. Right. The one who takes the order is no better than the one that takes the drinks. They are both necessary. Right. So, I don't get up and think that, okay, I have nothing to boast or brag in, as Paul said, because I played my part. <laughs> I don't know how many messages they heard before today that got them to this point. My job was just to get them to this point. My message will then become something that God uses later on to get them to another point. <laughs> and somebody else is going to preach that sermon. So don't get braggadocious. Don't get boastful. Just understand you have a role. Play your part. <laughs> and when you're done, go sit down. <laughs> So there are no there are no superstars. Uh, never. Um, never. That changes the perspective on on uh, everything. Praise and worship. Yes. Uh, especially worship leaders being on worship teams, singing is really uh, it can it can feel very opinionated, very extremely. Uh, I have to show. I have to do this. I have to do it this way. I can't just sing. I can't just minister. No. I have to do it skillfully. And, um, and, and I'm never telling anyone to be unskillful. What I am saying is, don't make it about you. Right. Ultimately, we are all the opening act for Jesus' concert. <laughs> don't get up there and think that you're going to outperform the dude whose concert they came to see. <laughs> right. So, your praise and worship is not the opening act for me to preach. We both are the opening acts. We just come in sequence. Because mm. ultimately, what they came here for, what, they sh what brought them here was Jesus. Mm. And what's going to take them home is Jesus. Mm. <laughs> so don't get so lofty in yourself and about what you can do. Now, I understand since 2019, churches are built on personality. Right. I know people that go places just because of the personality of the person that's got the podium. Great. But ultimately, their personality will never get you into heaven. Never. <laughs> never. And, again, going back to an argument that Paul addresses in Corinthians. These jokers who are like, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And he rebuffs that. We all work for God. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, God gives increase. We just play roles. Mm -hmm. So, play your role and go home. That's the... <clears throat> That's some of the best best information because uh, just overall, uh, when I think about training under under Bishop Lee, mm -hmm. uh, singing there, singing at where I was at Place for Life, mm -hmm. just the different dynamics of putting together different things. Whether you're a worship leader and they say you're 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 setting the atmosphere or starting, you're like the first handoff in a relay. Mm -hmm. It makes you think about what you're doing way differently. Exactly. Like I'm not here to impress upon people or show them how I can do this or jump really high. I'm here because I'm the one God called for this time. 
That's this it. moment. That's it. He said, Michael, you doing this moment. Exactly. And after that moment, I'm done. You're done. Rather, whoever heard what they needed to hear or why I was there, that had nothing to do with me but with him. And um, Exactly. Once I thought about that, my dad helped me with that big time. Because he was like, it don't have nothing to do with you. Yes. Sent me books and really helped me understand, like, okay, that's why, uh, off topic, but when I go places and I hear somebody that sounds beautiful, yeah. sing very skillfully, but sometimes I leave without what, what you would quote unquote say, they're not oiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And it amazed me because I was like, wait, you know, you can go in a place and this person sounds so amazing. Yes. Like, uh, minor notes and key yes. changes and, and, and can do all kind of stuff and you leave after they sing it feels like a concert like you just you were never a part of it mm-hmm. you were watching exactly. and when they're done you want to clap yes you don't feel blessed mm-hmm. you're just like oh that was oh that was nice that was beautiful because ultimately we're supposed to lead them to God mm. I'm not supposed to build my fan club right I, I, I don't need to increase my likes, my followers, my anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Follow me as I follow Christ. So ultimately, if you're following me, my page, if you're going to use that as an example, should always direct you to his page. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And if you stop following me, that's great. Don't ever unfollow him. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. ultimately, again, my whole job was just to lead you to him. Mm-hmm. If I make it about me and I have to become the star, then ultimately I'm competing with God. And God has never lost against anybody that's gone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm a wrestling fan, and, and, and they coined this adage years ago. Not in wrestling, but in other things. It says, if you go for the king, you better not miss. <laughs> yeah. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Everybody that went for him, even if they landed a hit... <laughs> Mm-hmm. He quickly reminded them right. why I am still the unreigning, undisputed yes, sir. <laughs> champion of all. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to be the champion. You're not going to steal his glory. You're not going to do none of that. Mm-hmm. Satan gives us that perfect example. Hey, I want some of your shine. You can't handle my shine, dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to go. Right, right. <laughs> oh, I'm not going. How did I end up on the ground? I saw Satan fall like lightning. Yes. Can you imagine what that felt like to be in heaven one minute and to be on the ground the next? <laughs> you know, be and the then chief. yes, and like and the people be like, you know, uh, don't go too high because if you fall, it's murder. <laughs> like lightning, man. Uh, that's why all, all those. All, I love those movies. I think I talked to you about it on Facebook. Those Troy and Three Hundred and uh, the movies that are that are more about the words and how they say them and when they say them, when they place them, what's the moment? Yes. Uh, I believe that uh, you are very great at doing that and how it how it's shaped. And I think I suck. Truthfully, <laughs> <laughs> not for real. Like people tell me afterwards how well I speak, and sometimes I laugh about it. So. My father was in the military, and, and as a result of that, I was born in a small town in West Texas outside Lubbock. We traveled all over the place. So I'd come to San Antonio and see some of my cousins before we moved here. And they were like, oh, you're an Oreo. Why you talk like that? Mm-hmm. Talk like what? <laughs> this is just how I talk. Mm-hmm. 
I grew up in an environment listening to people from everywhere. <laughs> right. So it shaped how I talk. It's not that I talk better than anyone. This is just how Tyrone talks. Right. You know, so when people tell me, oh man, you sounded, I don't ever see it. Because like, for me, it's just how I talk. Um, I know at over 20 years, I've become more comfortable with it. I've become more theatrical with it sometimes, you know. I know how to talk. <laughs> right. Um, being in band, choir, and all these other little life events that, you know, again, pour a little bit here into there. When you're in choir, they teach you how to say, okay, uh, Tyrone, we're saying this word in German, you must pronounce it like this. So it taught me pronunciation skills. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing I hate more than going somewhere and somebody's preaching a great word and you can't understand any of what this is. <laughs> what did he say? I don't know, but he was howling. <laughs> he was moving. He was moving the gut. Didn't you see the Lord move? I, I don't know, because God talks and normally I can understand Jesus. I couldn't understand him. So <laughs> for me, it's like I don't ever want somebody to come and say that they sat through me preaching for my 45 minutes to an hour long self like I can do. And I don't know what he said. <laughs> right. I can't remember anything. <laughs>heard many times churches say give him words that he didn't prepare for Um, so do you memorize your sermons or practice what you're going to preach yes I memorize it I practice it and then what happens on stage is never what I practice (laughs) so is that a reference point like when you're up there and you're speaking you memorized it so when you go back to your tablet, are you are you looking up other things? Are you are you in a different scripture? I've done it all. There have been moments where I was in the middle of preaching and something came into my head that I had not even thought of. Hmm. Text that I hadn't even read. Right. <laughs> and thanks to the miracle of technology, you can be on stage and type something and preaching at the same time. Pull it up and stick it right in, you know. But the version of it that I practice at home is to edify Tyrone. It is the word of God from that text for Tyrone to give Tyrone what Tyrone needs. When I get in the room, like you said, I'm responsible for, again, it's not giving it to God, but I am responsible for serving this meal to the people that he has placed in this room at this time and giving them what they need. So, even when I scripted, things that were huge points to me mm-hmm. became minor points <laughs> mm-hmm. and stuff that was minor became like focuses of whole sermons like when we did Ruach the whole original point was I went through the step the step the stages of God developing a person by okay so in the text if you read it when Ezekiel is given the prophecy for God God says in reverse order what he's going to do. The end result is he's going to give them breath. So when he says it, you know, prophesy to them and I'm going to restore the breath unto them. I'm going to cover them, which is to give them, you know, flesh upon them, sinews and them cause their bones to come together. When Ezekiel prophesies, the bones come together first. Once there are bones, then there comes sinews, then there comes flesh, and then there's no breath. And then he has to do a separate prophecy to make the breath come. So, And when I was practicing it, 
I needed this part. So God told me that Tyrone, nothing can exist without first having a structure. If you want to be something to happen, you gotta have a structure that can be built upon. Once you have a structure, then you will develop systems. Sinews is another word for systems. So once the bones are in order, then I can put a muscular system on it. I can put uh, a digestive system, a waste management system, a breathing system. Once I put all the systems in place, then I'm gonna cover it with a pretty package. The flesh that gets put on top of it. And then finally after that, I'm going to give it life. So when we as people design stuff, oftentimes we don't think about the structure. We don't think about the systems. All we think about is the pretty picture and how it's going to be wonderful happily ever after. So I'm use marriage as an example. Everybody plans for the wedding day, nobody plans for the marriage. <laughs> we'll spend ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars on a wedding day and then be broke the day after <laughs> when we're married. <laughs> oh, we had a great wedding. Great. But what about the marriage? Right. There were no structures. If there is no structure, there can be no system to build upon. So, you know, you and I were talking earlier about, you know, growth and, and the sermon series that Pastor Bonds is doing. And so, again, even and this works even when you do a sermon. There first has to be a structure. What is your structure? I studied and years ago, and I encourage preachers to look this up. Jake's put out this thing um, called The Art of Preaching, and it's a structural guide to how he prepares a message. Some of the pieces I liked and kept, others of them didn't work for me. But in either case, you've got to have a structure. <laughs> on top of your structure, you will then build systems. And on top of the systems, then we can worry about the covering. And then God will give the life to it last. So when you get up there, like I said, I've got a structure, I've got systems, I've got some covering, you know, I got a title for it and all that, but life doesn't happen until you present it. <laughs> so that's why it, it comes to life. Yes. And changes. And so that's how, you know what I'm saying? And again, if there's no life, they're never going to come to the altar. <laughs> right. So again, I still got to keep going back to, okay. I need you to breathe on this. Because <laughs> right now it's just words. The Bible says the letter killeth, but the spirit, the ruach, gives life. Mm -hmm. So I got this whole mess. And so when I preached in the Charles Church, all of that stuff was the whole message. When I got up there, he was like, okay, cool, you got that. That's great. Just talk about the breath. <laughs> and I think I spent 30 minutes of a 45-minute sermon on breathing because yep. <laughs> all the rest of that didn't matter mm -hmm. it was just the breath because <laughs> people don't care about your structure <laughs> and your systems and your covering they care about your life <laughs> mm -hmm. and they care about getting it getting breathed and on getting life for themselves <laughs> uh, the, the structure piece that you Especially, especially marriage in yes. particular. Uh, being a young married man, married couple, oh man. Uh, and not thinking about all the things that elders told us while we were going through the process of engagement. And, and the first thing I heard was, hey, 
are y'all equally yoked? Yes. And then I hear, um, are you going seeking counseling? And I was like, counseling? Yes. We're, we're going. We're planning a, a wedding. Why, why are we talking to people about marriage before we get married? I'm like, what is the point of that? We're happy. Because we need to set up structures. Right. <laughs> right. Because the first time you have an argument is not when you want to figure out how you're going to argue. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the first time that you need to make a purchase is not when you need to decide how we're going to manage our money. Right. Do it when it's not critical. Mm-hmm. Do it when there's no there's no hurt feelings on the table. Because if, you know, we were talking about the roles of men and women, I know too many men who feel like just because they are the head, they make all the decisions. And if you're going to be married, it's got to be a collaboration. Right, right. Because otherwise, she ain't going to stay with you if she doesn't think she has a voice. Mm-hmm. So you set up your structures and you set up your systems. Hold up, I need to be able this is our signal for a timeout. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter what we're going through, we're going to marry 40 years. When I do this, I need you to stop. Right. Because that's me telling you, I can't do this right now. You know, when Charity and I got married all those years ago, we were talking to my kids the other day. Like, y'all see us now, and it's a well-oiled machine. We used to fight. <laughs> yeah. Because, and what we, and how we fought was what made the fights worse. I grew up in a household where the lesson I learned from my parents, my mom and dad, you know my parents, um, Michael and Ella can argue. <laughs> I don't like arguing. <laughs> I don't like yelling. When they used to, I'd retreat to my room. So then I got married. No systems, no structure. But we got a nice little pretty package. (laughs) And the first time we have an argument, I retreat. And I'm like, I need to process and think about it and I'll get back to you in a week. But I didn't told her that. So I just wouldn't talk. (laughs) Right. Charity grew up in an environment where things were dealt with immediately, right now, in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's over. So, she's trying to do that, and I'm retreating. It took three years before we got to a point where, okay, I need you to calm down and not yell. And I'll give you the guarantee that I'll talk about it within at least an hour. <laughs> so now we've been married for years, we can talk about it immediately, I'm cool with it. But, Originally, uh uh-uh. uh. But nobody tells you about that. When you're in love, nobody tells you about your first argument. And it's gonna happen. <laughs> you know? So I advise whenever I counsel people, and I haven't done it often, but people ask me about it afterwards, you know, and already had their first argument, and I'm like, how do I avoid it being like that? Because I thought she was gonna kill me. Or I thought I was gonna kill Okay, right now, where y'all to chill, set up a system. I mean, some structures, some basic rules. We're not going to call each other names. Uh-uh. I'm not going to bring up past stuff. Set up some systems and then package it. <laughs> and then watch God bring life to your marriage. Because, again, all of these things are just subsets of your marriage. You're not always, hopefully, going to be arguing. <laughs> you know, you're not always going to be struggling. But if we set up systems and structures on how to deal with it now, then when it does happen, it's not a crisis and it doesn't become something that destroys the relationship. Mm-hmm. So planning, 
planning, planning, planning. Yes. It is, <clears throat> man, we, we learned, I can say we learned so much on the back end. Yes, sir. <laughs> after the fact. Yes, sir. Uh, and I had to retreat uh, different things that I used to do. Just communication wasn't a, a big thing to to feel like I need to work out. Because yes. I was never connected to somebody where I said, I do. Mm. And because of our apostolic background, you yeah. know, you get married. Yes. That's why my heart was beating because I said, you get married. You get married one time. Yes. And you finish that thing out. Yes. And if you're not going to get married, then don't do it. <coughs> and when we got married, that's why my heart was beating because I said, wait, I'm going to agree to move in and be with a person forever. 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 ever. <laughs> and we, we're... <laughs> I'm barely 21. Yes. And I got to figure out the rest of my life. Yes. And then you run into all that stuff. That it goes backwards. Yes, in sir. Sense. You, you moved in. You got the package. You got it all together. And now mm-hmm. you start building the structure yes. afterwards. And now like, you're already together. Now you start piecing it together. Yes. It's like, it's like okay, okay yeah, I got all these pieces. Hit, we're going to hit head but a lot. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, I got all these pieces and no instructions on how to put it together. Right. But you told me. When I married this person, that on the other side of this, there is wholeness. So it's like somebody gave me a crib in pieces and said, with no instructions, you need to figure out how to put it together. And when you put it together, it'll be the perfect place to lay your baby. (laughs) Right. Okay. uh, But you ain't give me no instructions. Oh, you should have been planning for this beforehand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And again... We are voyeurs to the marriages of our parents, grandparents, other people. But the part that we see... Now, some people are messy in marriage. (laughs) I don't believe in that foolishness. Your kids shouldn't know everything to go on between you and your wife. Right, right. (laughs) Because otherwise, that's how kids end up hating parents. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I'm a mommy's boy, and I come to hate my father because all I hear from my mommy is his bad points. Right. But she doesn't tell me why she's still in love with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? You want to be private about how much you love him, but you want to be public about how much how you're mad at him. Mm-hmm. That'll work. <laughs> if you're going to tell how bad I am, you better tell how good I am. <laughs> right. Tell both of your fans. You know, your daddy get on my nerve, but Lord have mercy when y'all ain't home. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> tell both sides of it. Because <laughs> otherwise, you know what I'm saying? I didn't get my father till I became my father. Well, well, oh man, oh man. That's a point that's When so- I became daddy, mm-hmm. not when I became husband, because my dad was, we were, matter of fact, we were about the same age when we got married. Now that I think about it. But I didn't understand until I became him. Mm-hmm. And then I could appreciate who he was. But it's sad that I had to live with this man Let's see, I finally moved out when I was 8, 19 years old, 20, no, right before I got married, so 21, mm-hmm. and didn't get him until I had been married for five years, and I'm like, oh, that's why you were like that. Right, that's why <laughs> you were like that. Because you knew what it was to have to go to work. Like, I just saw you not there when I needed you, but I didn't understand that we only had one car, and you used to have to walk to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't understand why I'm always wanting to go to McDonald's and do whatever, and you're saying no, and it's like, oh, you're mean. But I didn't understand. You had just paid the rent. 
right. and the car note right. and put groceries in the refrigerator and you didn't have no more money. Right. So then I understood him when I became him. Mm -hmm. My kids, my sons don't get me now. Right. <laughs> but they'll get me when they become me. Right. So, oh man. Oh man. <laughs> I say that's the that's the biggest part that helped me off topic, but maybe we need to do another yes. one on, on being a father. Yes. But being being a dad, I understood my dad more. Yes. And I can understand what 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 they say in the Bible, what breaks break let what breaks God's heart break your heart. Yes. And what broke what broke my heart for my kids and my children when they were mad at me or something or my daughter throw a little fit mm -hmm. and I had to be the disciplinary. Mm -hmm. I had to wear the other hat. I'm like, okay, I don't want to wear that hat mm -hmm. right now. Like, I don't want to be mean to him right now. And then you realize the the spare the rod, spoil the child. All yes. those things that I was told that were in the yes. Bible, yes. they come back and you like, oh. oh. <laughs> so I have I have to be the mean guy and I have to stick to being the mean guy. Yes. Because now I'm looking out for his future. Yes. I'm not I'm not being his friend and being nice, but I'm seeing, hey, I'm gonna have to whoop you right now. Yes. Or I'm gonna have to punish you, or I'm gonna have to take that away. Because further down the road, yes. you realize Oh, my daddy! My daddy saw something in me. Yes. I did a post about that recently, yes. where I put, um, "Don't get mad at people who hold you accountable. They yes. saw you better than you are." Yes. And I was like, "Oh, come on!" All these people that used to, "Hey, man, don't do that like that." Yes. Hey, put your put your shirt on this way. Hey, tie your tie that way. Yes. Your pants are sagging. Pull them up. Son, do your mom talk like that? Do you, have you heard that language here? Mm. All these things people would get on you. And you're like, "Man, get off me!" Leave me up. Why you keep telling me stuff? Why won't you just let me be me? Because you want me to be great, right? And you <laughs> never, you, I, I never heard it until I realized being a father, um, it, that's what it's all about. I want you, I want you to do better. If I never speak to you, people said that at work for years. If I never said a word to you, I believe you've reached your potential. I think you've done everything you can do, and I'm comfortable with it. I have that homeboy that does nothing and we hang out and do nothing because exactly. that level, I'm trying to get in that level right now. Yes. I don't feel like doing nothing, go hang with this cat. Yes. He's comfortable at his nothing. Mm -hmm. But when I go, I step out of his nothing, now we're different. Because yes. now I, I don't want to do nothing at this time, but he yes. wants to. And every time I'm, holding, I'm held accountable, even the people that are in the worst places <laughs> yes. will remind you of your good place. Yes. My friends that don't do as much will always remind me of I'm supposed to be doing something. Yes. And you look at them like, how you gonna tell me? And you don't even you ain't do. And they like, I'm good where I'm at. But I, you, I'm not gonna be nobody. You. <laughs> and so, like, that's Man. an argument that I have with my 16 year old. When he was two and doing stuff, I'd get on him. And <laughs> when people become grandparents, they forget what it is to be parents. I think I think mm -hmm. it's amnesia. <laughs> And I remember I've had my mother, my mother-in-law. Oh, why are you so hard on him? Why are you so hard on him? He's just a baby. He's two right now. But I need to get this out of him at two so that when he's 32, they're not calling me saying that he had an anger issue and somebody shot him on the side of the road. Well, yes, sir. <laughs> You're looking at who he is now. And, and that's the, the, the beauty of a mother's relationship. A mother is is a nurturer by nature in most cases. I'm not trying to paint with anybody with a broad brush, but and so she's nurturing the child where he is or she is at any given stage. Mm -hmm. 
the, the vision of a father is, I ain't concerned with who you are right now. Right. <laughs> I know what you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I'm raising you, and I'm hard on you now by cleaning your room, because one day you're going to be in a dorm room, and if you're a pig, they're going to kick you out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm on you hard right now because I understand that one day you're going to be 30-something years old. And if you don't learn how to hold money and how not to buy everything that you want just because you can buy it, right. you're going to be broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and calling me and, Dad, I don't understand what happened. Yes, I do. We used to take you to Walmart and let you spend your whole allowance on the day of. Right. <laughs> never made you save anything. Mm-hmm. Never made, never taught you how, what it meant to wait and to want something. Because mm-hmm. what you want, you work for. Right. <laughs> what you never wait for, you never want. And because you don't want it, that's why you can't stay in a relationship. <laughs> I was watching, I was watching, uh, I was watching a show last night with my wife. Uh, I think it's called uh, Comedians and Coffee or something like that. It's yeah, on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he was on with uh, Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, uh, he brought up a good point, kind of what you added to. He said, um, I told my children, my children asked me if I was rich. And he said, I told them, I am. But you're not. Mm-hmm. And, and that just struck me to be like, <laughs> that. that's how we parent. Yeah. It's like everything that I've got to. If I want you to do me, mm. I can show you me. Mm. But if I want you to do greater, mm. I'm studying while I'm being your father. Yes. Because where I'm at, I'm, I might be good. Yeah. Or I might want to still reach, but I got to show you how to reach over me. Yes. While I'm still going, I got to show you how to hit, get a goal and be like, that's it. This is what you want. Mm. And I always try to tell them, find what you want. Yes. Daddy, I like basketball. Do you like it because I like it? Or do you like it? Yes. Because it's different. You work harder, you'll, you'll you look like at it. practice way different. Oh, yeah. If I show up and I'm hard on you in practice, you'll, you'll fuel, it'll fuel you. Yes. Versus you'll be like, man, I'm so tired of this. Mm-hmm. If I shoot another jump shot today. Mm-hmm. Um, great stuff, great stuff. Uh, so the last couple pieces that I have for you, sir, are back it with the book. A uh, little section. We already actually have done that, but... In the terms of speaking um, and developing your gift as a speaker, orator, or developing a sermon, where would you tell somebody, go to this scripture and, and cling on to this or use this um, when you have your moment? Where, or a story maybe in the Bible that you would say, this is um, the basis of a sermon. This is what you should go to. Acts chapter 2. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. If you read the Bible, and I did this I don't remember a couple of years ago. And I realized that all through the New Testament, Peter never said anything in public. <laughs> Every conversation that Peter has that's recorded in the scripture was between him and Jesus. And then somewhere after he rejected, the only time he spoke to a crowd, hey, you were with him. No, it wasn't. Yeah, we saw you. It wasn't me. Yeah, it was you. It wasn't me. Yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> and then he don't say nothing. And then we get to Acts chapter 2. And this joker who only one other time addressed the crowd <laughs> gets up and preaches the message of his life. Mm-hmm. They're not drunk like you think they're drunk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But this is that which Joel spoke of. Mm -hmm. And so, ultimately, all the experiences he had in private with Jesus came out on the stage in that one moment. Mm -hmm. He lived and then now he was able to express it. Wow. So, before you have your Acts chapter 2, you're going to have your moment on the boat. Mm, yes, sir. <laughs> when, leave me alone, I'm unclean. And it took me years. I'd read that text and I didn't understand until I went to John chapter 1 that Jesus had met Peter several times before. And every time he kept telling him to come with me, he wouldn't go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Andrew went. James and John went for a minute. Pete always stayed back. It's not till we get to the lake and Jesus gets on Peter's boat. Mm -hmm. Says, you ain't caught nothing all night because I didn't want you to catch nothing. <laughs> and he said, he just kind of implied it. Right. Cast out into the deep. We ain't going to catch nothing. But just because you said it, I'm going to do it. Throw the net over there. They don't come up on that side. Oh, drat. Oh, dog, we're sinking. <laughs> mm -hmm. All this was just to get him to Acts 2. <laughs> there is no Pentecost if there is no boat. <laughs> like, so recently, we were talking about Ruach. And so I was like, God, of all the people in the Bible, why you give this dude Ruach? If you go to Ezekiel chapter 25, the tech, he's prophesying and doing all this stuff, and in the middle of it, God interrupts him and says... I want you to understand that tonight the joy of your life is going to leave you as wife. You don't have permission to mourn or to cry. Tomorrow morning you need to be back at work prophesying. So then Ezekiel writes this two verse statement. I went home that night and she died. And the next day I prophesied. You can't have 37 till you live 25. <laughs> wow. So, like, people tell me now, I've been married all this time. Oh, y'all are goals. I wasn't goals that first three months. I wasn't goals the first three years. <laughs> I wasn't even goals really the first 10. <laughs> right. What you see now is 21 years of work, <laughs> 18 years of marriage. Oh, man, you're my favorite preacher. I wasn't anybody's favorite preacher in August of 1999 at Refuge Church when I got up and did my first sermon. I wasn't anybody's favorite preacher when they ordained me an elder uh, in, in, in whatever town that was. And <laughs> I wasn't anything. Mm -hmm. What you see now is that I lived all this to get to this moment. So, preacher, if you ain't got your flow yet, it's cool live a little longer. <laughs> It'll come. Right. So much knowledge given and so many nuggets dropped. We didn't get a chance to finish that conversation. Thank you to Tyrone Nathaniel for sitting with me. Again, you can keep up with him on Facebook under Tyrone Nathaniel. And again, thank you for listening to Empower Purpose Podcast. And remember that knowledge is power.